Oh Lord God, we lift our voices and we lift our heart and we lift our faith to you this morning. God, we thank you that you are in this place. You're ready to meet with us. You're ready to encourage us and challenge us. And God, I pray that your spirit might begin to speak to us even now. You would help us to hear your voice. You would help us to be so aware of your spirit. God, that you would take away any distractions, anything that's not from you, to allow us to to really hear from you this morning. God, we thank you that you bring unity across our entire family, our entire church body. God, that together we're your people. And God, we lift up Yaram and we lift up Lock Sport to you this morning as well. And we pray that as they meet, God, that you'll be speaking to their hearts and encouraging them. Lord God, we're so, so aware of your presence and so aware of your spirit in this place this morning. And we ask that you would humble us and speak to us. God, we glorify your name and we worship you this morning with all that we have and with all that we are. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And what about that cheer from the kids? If you're in the room here and say, we just heard the kids scream. Happy birthday. Maybe they were cheering for Jesus. Probably happy birthday, though. Very good. Good morning. Great to have you. Hey, Max. <laughs> Isn't it so good to have kids in the, in the building? It's good. We love kids. We love when they're noisy, when they're running around. It means that the church is alive, it's healthy, it's, it's well. Uh, it's the way it should be from generations The youngest is probably, I don't know who the youngest baby is at the moment. Very young ones. Who's the eldest in the the building? Probably, we don't want to say that, do we? (laughs) Margaret? (laughs) Well into the, what are we up to? What's Margaret up to? 90s, yeah. Fantastic. Well, if it's your first time here uh, at SBC, a huge welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. And pray that you have a great morning with us, whether you're in Locksport or Yarram, and it's your first time as well. Good morning. Great to have you. This morning, we are beginning a little series for three weeks called Spirit and Truth. Spirit and Truth. Historically, on the first Sunday in February, we've had Vision Sunday. Uh, and so this is sort of like Vision Sunday, except um, that our vision is always the same. <laughs> And hopefully you've gathered that, that our vision is to really make disciples. Our vision is the great commission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. And so this morning is not so much around the vision, but perhaps a better way to think about it is a theme for the year, a theme for the year, something to, for, for us to, to be thinking about, for us to, to be directed by. Um, and it's not our sole focus, but it's just a bit of a focus for, for the year. And I, I pray that it's a challenge to you. And I, it's one of these messages that, um, I hope comes out clearly. It's, you're going to sort of get an insight into how my brain works. It's pretty chaotic, uh, and there's lots of thoughts going in, in a lot of different directions at, all the time at the same time. Uh, and so that's a little bit what's happening in this message, and I hope that you can follow along, and then I've put it down. And if it doesn't make sense, then maybe over the next um, two weeks, it will make sense. Maybe it won't. Maybe be confused. Um, We'll give it a go anyway. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be looking in John chapter 4 at a pretty well-known story, um, if you've been in, in church. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. Uh, they'll be on the screen behind me um, or down 
underneath me if you're watching on a screen. John chapter 4. Here we are, starting at verse 15. We're jumping in halfway through a story. This story is uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, uh, so you may remember that. Um, but basically, Jesus and the Samaritan woman have met at a well in the middle of the day, and they've struck up a conversation, and the woman uh, has come to Jesus, or Jesus has gone to the woman and said, I can give you living water, um, and this is part of the conversation. So we're jumping in mid-conversation here. Verse 15, Sir, the woman said, give me this water, this living water, so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. And Jesus said, go call your husband and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, for you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when He comes, He will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am He. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We pray that You would help us to understand it and to obey it. Speak to our hearts and help us to, um, to really tune into Your voice this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, um, all of us, we love chasing experiences. I don't know if, and you might think, oh, I don't really like chasing experiences. I, I reckon if you think about it, you, you probably do. Um, and everyone chases experiences in different ways. Um, humanity for forever has always chased experiences and the, the feeling of being alive, of, of feeling different things, excitement, joy, we love the experience of what different um, activities bring us. Uh, there are unhealthy ways to have experiences and through different substances and people try uh, all sorts of things to, to feel certain things, to have certain experiences. Some people will even jump out of an aeroplane with the parachute on their back for an experience, to feel something. Again, unhealthy ways to <laughs> have experiences. Or climb to a high place for a lookout. Again, some people are... We're all wired differently, aren't we? But we're made for experience, to feel something. Just to know something is, is half the equation, but to experience it is something else. Um, you might know something about the hobby that you enjoy, that brings you a lot of joy. But if you just knew about it, but didn't actually participate in it, it wouldn't bring you this, the right amount of joy. You'd feel like you were missing half the equation. This morning I want to talk about this, this parallel, if you like, of spirit and truth. That there's, there's a part of us in our Christian faith that needs to know and needs to understand certain things, the truth. 
but there's another part of us that needs to experience what we know and to put into action what we know, to have a, a spiritual experience, if you like. And so this woman at the well, um, you can read the whole story, and we'll, and we'll sort of unpack it over the next couple of weeks. And uh, I think the whole of John chapter 4 is really about how we, how we worship God and how our lives are an act of worship. And as we worship, we experience God. We understand things about Him, but we also experience Him. She knew about Jesus, but she hadn't met with Jesus until this moment, and she was missing out. She, you notice in her conversation, she, she has a level of understanding. It's not like she does, has no understanding. She's, it's not like she's completely like, this is all new to me. She's like, I've heard about this prophet. I know that the Messiah is coming. I know about uh, worship in this place and that place. She hasn't got a full understanding of everything, and, and neither do we, by the way. But she's got an understanding, but she hadn't experienced Jesus yet. And some of us are like this. We know a lot. Maybe the woman didn't know a lot, but we don't experience a lot. We have a great understanding of Scripture and truth and doctrine and theology, but it's, it's a lot of stuff up here. And, and maybe the experience of God, meeting with God, hearing from God, is not so much. Or for, for others of us, maybe we have great experiences with God. We're very in touch with with what the Holy Spirit is saying, what the Holy Spirit is doing through us, but when it comes to understanding the Word of God and the truth, we're lacking a little bit. I remember um, a few years ago now, I think it was about seven or so, eight years ago maybe, I, I did a, um, a leadership course over two years called Arrow Leadership. And one of the, I was trying to find the material and I hunted through all my notes, I contacted all the people that went, but uh, no one had the... Um, it was like a slide on one of the presenters' um, presentations. And we did this survey of um, personalities. It was like a leadership... Uh, I don't know if you've heard Leading From Your Strengths. Anyway, it was a, a leadership survey. And basically, it sort of um, put you in a different category of whether you were more analytical, more supportive, more people-focused, more task-focused, um, more extroverted, more introverted, a whole lot of different sort of aspects. Anyway, so we did all these surveys, and then um, the guy who was presenting got up, and he showed us a graph of all the people that have ever done the survey through Arrow, and so it's a uh, multi-denominational course. And it was very interesting, because all the Anglicans were, like, in the top left quadrant, and all the Baptists were in the bottom left, and all the, evan all the Evangelicals were in the bottom right, and all the Pentecostals were up in the top right. And it was so um, eye-opening to see that the different denominations that we have and the different churches and different flavors we have attract certain types of people, generally speaking. I mean, there are outliers, and we've got some crazies in our building and some... <laughs> I won't point to them. No. But we've, we tend to gravitate towards those that are more like us. I mean, this is true in social settings as well, that uh, we tend to gravitate towards those that are the same culture as us, the same age as us, the same, have the same interests or hobbies. We like to connect with people that are like us, that act like us, that talk like us, that believe what we believe. And so it's no surprise in churches, as you move from denomination to denomination, you can sort of see general, I mean, it's generalizations, I realize, but you can see these generalizations where perhaps Anglicans are more justice-focused, 
Maybe Baptists are more serving and um, task-focused. Pentecostals are more passionate and emotional. Um, Presbyterians are maybe more informational. And now denominations exist for far more complex reasons than what I've just described, or at least that's why they began. But I want you to think about the comfort that you seek in your own spiritual journey through being around those that think like you or act like you. Something we have in common, though, regardless of our denomination, regardless of our spiritual um, persuasions, is that we have a desire to worship God, to give Him all of our life. I put some words up here, and um, and I think this is a challenge. And I want you to look through this this list of words. And on one side, I've, I've put a, a category of words that is like whimsical, spiritual, worshiping, creative, emotional, experience, atmosphere, relational. Like that's maybe what you love more. Or on this side, maybe a little bit. I'm on this side a bit more, probably wordy, scriptural. Uh, they're sort of sort of opposite, worshiping or the word logical analytical, understanding, thought-provoking, task-focused. And of course, these words and these ideas are spectrums, and you'll find maybe on one side, there's like five from that side and two from that side that you would identify with more. Or for some of them, you'll be like, oh, I'm right down the middle on that one. Another way, or a black and white way to think about it, is during our church service, so we're in the middle of a church service now, what part of the service do you like or look forward to the most? This part where I'm talking, or maybe it's the, the music type, the music time where we're worshipping and praising God and lifting our voices together. There's different parts of the service that you might be like, oh, I wish this bit would be a bit shorter, and I wish this bit would be a bit longer. And can I guarantee that there'll be someone else sitting probably next to you that wants the opposite of what you want, that thinks the opposite of what you think. So often we can get caught up in just focusing on the the one experience or the one idea at the expense of the other and thinking that others should be more like us. If only others were more deep in their thinking towards Scripture and studied the Word more. If only others were more outward expressive in their worship, lifting their voices more, encouraging others to to not be so passive. But I think for all of us, what we need to remember is is it's not one or the other, it's both. There's a perspective. You know, and the best picture I had in mind for this was train tracks, that sometimes when we're just looking down at our track, or what we think, all we see is we see two tracks and they're completely separate from each other. And it's only when we lift our eyes that the two tracks become one point. And together they they are needed. They are equally as valuable. It's not one or the other. You know, uh, if you go and study theology at Bible college, one of the first things they'll teach you is that there are um, primary sources for our theology and then there's secondary sources. And the two primary sources that they'll tell you about is that there's the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. They are the two things that God has left us here on earth that are primary for our source of truth and for experiencing God. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. And you can see just in those two primary sources the the parallel nature of the way God wants us to learn about Him and experience Him. We need both tracks to take us down the road of faith and worship. 
And if we neglect one, we're not going to get to the place that Jesus wants us to go. To have this living water, this life change, real impact that this woman at the well experiences all these things, she needs to have spirit and truth together. You know, Jesus talks about in John 4 here this idea of true worship. And the word worship comes from a word, it's, it's a shortened word of a word called worthship, um, which sort of, when you think about it, of worthship, it, it makes a little bit more sense of what we give our worth to, or what is worth the most, or what is most valuable to us. And we all worship different things. We all worship different things. We sacrifice for different things. We talk about different things. We live for. We get our worth from. And what these and these things are things that we know about and things that we experience. It's not just one or the other. It could be a person. Could be a hobby. Could be an object, a practice, or hopefully for us uh, as Jesus followers, it's Jesus Himself. And John four is all about what worship truly is what we get our source of satisfaction from, where we go day after day, where we get our value from, our meaning for life. This is what the the story of the woman at the well is. What we hold most valuable in our life and therefore we get our worth and our water from, our satisfaction from. So the woman at the well is going to get physical water. She's going there every day. She needs a drink every day. But Jesus and John, the author of of this gospel, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, is showing us this to be a metaphor. That every day she goes and draws water, but is constantly still thirsty. It's like it's, it's helping a little bit, but it's not really satisfying her thirst. And Jesus offers living water. Water that doesn't run out, or doesn't run dry, that quenches the thirst, that fulfills the deepest longings of our humanity. And you can already see in that, uh, in that picture that the woman is going for something very um, practical, concrete, uh, physical. Like it's, it's there in front of her, she's going for water, and then Jesus turns it into this, like, if you're on the more creative, whimsical side, like this sort of airy-fairy, like, what is he talking about? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't understand what he's talking about, living water. Like, tell me, what am I actually supposed to do? Like, give me the black and white. And the conversation takes a turn at this point. And Jesus says, go call your husband and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You've answered correctly, I don't have a husband. You've had five and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. So here we begin begin to understand what truth, this idea of the, so we've got spirit and truth, what truth element is. It's both an authenticity in our approach and a confrontation of, of our sin and shortcomings, or to put it positively, guidance in how to live our life. So the woman was caught, um, but she wasn't in shame. There was no shame in her truth. There was just an authenticity in her truth. There was an, an ability for her to come to Jesus as she was. She, notice she didn't, need to, she didn't feel like she needed to hide anything. Remember, these are two strangers. They've never had a conversation before. And Jesus says something to her. And the woman could very easily go, oh, no, you've mistaken me for somebody else. But she doesn't. She feels like she's able to come and say, no, that's true. This is my reality. This is where I'm currently at. 
And this is where the found, this idea of truth, um, or what this truth is, uh, partly meaning. And so the woman was caught, but she wasn't in a moment of shame from Jesus, but a moment of grace. See, when it comes to Jesus, grace and truth can't be separated. Grace and truth can't be separated. You can't have truth without grace, and you can't have grace without truth when it comes to Jesus. When it comes to you and I, we can. We can have truth without grace, and we can have grace without truth. But when it comes to Jesus, they go hand in hand. So in John 1, um, a couple of chapters earlier, John has already set this idea up for us. And so when you read John 4, you've read it in the context of John chapter 1. It says, The Word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So Jesus confronts the woman with truth, at the same time giving her grace for her current truth, her current reality. And then we begin to see the Spirit at work. Because the conversation, it sort of feels like it takes a a weird left turn here. Because the woman says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. It's, it's, It's as though the woman's trying to take the conversation away from, like, oh, this is embarrassing. I don't want to talk about this. Let's, let's ask a weird question that's going to throw Jesus off track and forget about um, what, he just, what he just revealed in my life. But what I want us to recognize here is that the Bible, the, the, the Word of God, is inspired by the Spirit. And so this is not a left turn by the Spirit's, um, from the Spirit's point of view. This is completely linked. This is completely linked. The idea of worship and what the woman is putting her value in are completely linked. Completely linked. Jesus told her, believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither here nor there. And goes on to say, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. They have a spiritual experience with not much truth, if you like, and we worship what we do know. We've sort of got some understanding and and we're worshipping. But an hour is coming... And is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Or another translation might say in the reality of the spirit, in the truth of the spirit. And the Father wants people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So from a place of authenticity, from a place of reality, the movement of the spirit is able to help this woman begin to experience who Jesus really is. Her eyes are beginning to open. She's beginning to understand this is the Messiah. This could be the Messiah. You read on in John, and that's, that's her words. This, could this be the Messiah? Could this be Jesus? Could this be the Son of God? And Jesus says to her, this is the kind of worship that the Father is looking for. Not one following a formula or a location or a person, but one who comes in truth and in spirit. One who comes chasing after the knowledge and the truth of God, as well as encountering the living Spirit of God. You remember when Jesus offered living water, it's not magic water, it's not just never-ending, but it is living, it's alive, and wants to be experienced. Another way to think of this as um, Spirit and truth is maybe surrendered and obedient. Surrendered and obedient. They go hand in hand. You don't fully surrender unless you are obedient. 
And you aren't really obedient unless you first surrender. You can obey someone's request without being fully surrendered. Like, someone might ask you to do something, can you make me a cup of tea? It's like, oh, I'll make you a cup of tea. But you aren't fully surrendered. Like, the desire to make a cup of tea is not there. There's no surrender in that obedience. It's just, like, obedience. Or you can be surrendered. It's like, yeah, I'll make you a cup of tea. I'd love to make you a cup of tea. And then just don't make a cup of tea. (laughs) They go hand in hand. Surrender understands that truth doesn't reside within you and that you aren't hiding anything. Obedience takes what is understood and acts upon it. It lives it out. Some of us love the idea of surrender and that truth is to be understood regardless of what we feel, but we don't always obey it. And this is really what Jesus didn't appreciate about the Pharisees, by the way. This is the the thing he didn't like and appreciate about the Pharisees is they knew they understood the truth, but they didn't really live it out. It was just all for them like a bit of puffing themselves up. And some of us love to obey, but only the things that we think are right or that we like. We don't like to surrender. The rich young ruler is a great example in Scripture of this. Obeying all the rules except for the little bit that he didn't really like. He didn't want to fully surrender. Spirit and truth go hand in hand. Two rails at the same track. And for you and I, there's probably one side of that track that we lean a little bit more on. And, then for, and there'll be others in the room that lean on the other side. And my encouragement for us this year as a church is to be led and to lead. To be led by those that maybe lean on the other side of the track than what we do. To see their example, to get around them and, and, and learn from them. And then to lead, to press in to the area, to the way that God has wired us, to lead others who aren't wired the same way. Which track are you more inclined inclined to lean on? Lead others, encourage others in that area. And the other track, allow others to lead you in it. Stretch yourself for the benefit of everybody. So if you love studying the word and understanding the truth, lead a small group, mentor a young person, read the Bible with someone. Use that to benefit the body, to build up those around you. Or if you love worship and seeing the Spirit of God move, lead your pew, lead the the people next to you in passionate worship, regardless of what song is playing or what band is up here. Pray for people during the service, after the service. Let the Spirit of God move through you. Be an example. Be a leader in that area. Give words of encouragement. Pastor Lauren showed me this little booklet during the week, a couple of weeks ago actually, A Guide to Spiritual Personalities. And I found it really helpful to help us to see different parts of the way that we encounter God. And I've, there's a whole lot in the foyer. There's some in Locksport and Yarram as well, some physical copies. But if you think, I don't want that, you can scan the QR code in front of you and there's a digital version of it as well that you can just take on your phone. Uh, start reading it now if you're bored of what I'm talking about. Um, but this might help you encounter this living God in spirit and in truth because not the, the way you encounter God, the way you experience God is not the way the person next to you experiences God. And I'm going to show you that inscription in a minute. 
Um, but it might help you. It's a great tool. I've had many conversations with people over the years who have sat through church services and they're like, I just, I've never experienced God. I've never felt him speak. It's like people have these spiritual experiences during worship or whatever and it's just not me. I don't have it. Or praying or whatever it is. They know lots, they've understood lots, but they've never felt him move, felt him speak or interact. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. I want to give you something practical to to think about and do, just as we finish. So in John 4, the story we read, if we go back to verse 13 and 14, we started in 15, but if we go back to 13 and 14, Jesus says to the woman, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up for him in a t- for eternal life. See, for this woman, she had to do something with what she was beginning to know and understand. And the practical thing that she had to do was stop drinking this water. As in, stop doing the, the things that you're currently doing. You've got to stop something and you've got to start something else. And so in, if you go down the story in verse 28, 29, the woman left her water jar and went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So she left her water jar, the one that kept running out, the sin, and this, this represents her sinful life that she was entangled in, and she went into action to tell others about Jesus. Knowing something but not obeying is a sure way to not experience God. It's a sure way to not experience God. It's like, I know I should lift my hands in worship, but I just don't. I know I should sing and make a joyful sound, but I don't. I know I should clap my hands, like these are all commands in the Psalms, but I don't. I know I should pray, but I don't. But I just don't experience God. It's like, hear what I'm saying is there's things that you know that maybe you aren't obeying, that maybe you could simply step out and before you feel it, obey it. Think about this in Scripture. That the way people experience God, the miracles, the presence of God in Scripture are all different, aren't they? Like Paul and Silas singing in jail at midnight, the jail doors fling open. Moses in the burning bush, Daniel in the fire, Jonah in the water, David in the battle with Goliath, Joshua marching, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, Joseph dreaming. Like everyone's got these different stories of how they experience God, and you might go, well, okay, I've got to follow Joshua's example. I'm going to walk around sail seven times with a trumpet. What you know, what you understand of God, and what you understand of God is asking you to do, if you don't step out and do that thing, you'll probably miss the experience of God that maybe you're longing for. Some of us are passive in our worship in the sense of we just want to have like, I mean, it does happen, Saul on the road to Damascus is passive when he experiences God, isn't he? He's not, he's not obeying God, but suddenly he has an experience of God and he's changed to Paul. And it, that's, it does happen. But I'm saying for the majority of people in the, in the Bible, their experience of God is, begins with a step of obedience before they feel anything. It's like hitting the water with the staff. It's like, the water's <laughs> it's just there, but I'll try it anyway and the waters part. 
You see, all these experiences of God were legitimate, but they weren't the same. Like the woman at the well, it's not about tradition or religion, like she talks about this mountain or that mountain, like what's the formula? There's no magic formula to it. The magic formula is here, understand the truth through the word of God, what do you know you should do and do it? Some of these aren't easily explained or even logical. And for us that are more analytical, logical type people, we look at these and go, good for them. Or good for you if you can hear God speaking to you during a song like, that's just not me. I'm saying it could be. So with what we know, we move towards experience through obedience. The woman at the well, what does she know? What she began to know through a conversation with Jesus is this man honours me. He values me. He loves me. He dignifies me. The way he's speaking to me is not like anyone else. He talks to me and she began to understood understand where she was drawing her water from, where she was getting her life meaning from, the men in her life, the cycle that she was in. And it wasn't life-giving. She was still thirsty. There was still something missing. What do you know? And what do you need to do? We'll look at this more, as, as I said, in the next two weeks, and hopefully if this doesn't make sense to you, it might over the next couple of weeks. But about knowing and doing, about understanding and experiencing I believe that we are called to be a church that has really good understanding the truth, the word of God. We put a high value, we are truth seekers. But at the same time, we are praying people, we're we're experiencing the supernatural power of God. That one is not at the expense of the other, that they are in tandem, they are in parallel together. And for some of us, we're going to be like, oh, give me more preaching and teaching. And for some of us, we're like, give me more praying and worshipping. Whatever side you lean towards, I want you to try to lean the other way a little bit for a while. I want you to push into the other side for a bit. I want us to stretch ourselves in our experience of God, in our worship. A church that values the word and a church that values the presence of God. And so we'll, we'll talk about this and we'll, I'll spend next week um, talking about this idea of the truth and then we'll talk about the spirit um, the following week and unpack those two ideas a little bit more. But I want to invite you to stand and we're going to sing a couple of songs now. And maybe this is a bit you've been looking forward to. Maybe this is a bit that you sort of go, oh, I could go home now. That was good. Either way, either lead people around you in your, in your worship and your expression towards God or be led by those around you. Lord God, we love you so much and we thank you for the life-giving God that you are. God, that you see us where we are and we don't need to hide anything from you. We can come to you as we are, authentic in our own reality. And God, you will guide us in your truth. But it goes hand in hand with your grace. And for God, some of us, maybe we feel like the woman at the well, we're caught in a life that we just, we didn't know how, we don't know how we got here. But we understand that you have a better way for us, a better way for us to live. And so God, we choose to surrender we choose to obey we choose to worship you in spirit and in truth God would you help us as a church body just grow in these two areas this year to grow in our love 
and understanding of your word and to grow in our obedience and experience of the spirit. So God, we lift our voices to you now. We lift our hands to you. And maybe for some of us, we take a step into the unknown. We're, we're a little bit uncomfortable. Not to twist your arm, but just because we know that's what you're asking us to do. Maybe this morning you feel like there's something you should be doing. Maybe it's you've got a word of encouragement for someone and you've had it for a long time, but you just never told them. Or well, there's been someone you know that you need to pray for, but you just haven't done it. Let's take that step of obedience this morning. Let's lift our voices. Let's worship. God, we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name.